This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momenta Partners and Momenta Ventures. Welcome to our Digital Leadership Podcast. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day. This is Ken Forster with another edition of our Momenta Digital Leadership Podcast. Today, it's my great pleasure to introduce Frank Mong, COO at Helium, where he's responsible for sales, marketing, and business development. Frank has over 20 years of experience in cybersecurity, networking, and software, having held senior leadership roles at leading companies such as HP Security, Silver Spring Networks, Trend Micro, and Symantec. Just prior to Helium, Frank served as Senior Vice President of Product and Solutions Marketing at Palo Alto Networks. I've uh, talked with Frank today really about three topics. One, of course, his own digital industry journey and perspective. Number two, he works uh, as COO at Helium, which is a really cool company building an internet of machines. And we'd love to have a deep dive understanding what Helium is doing. And third, a general topic uh, of low-power wide area, and as our listeners will know, uh, Momenta has uh, a lot of perspectives on that and uh, is thinking very long-term in terms of investments on this space as well. So those are the three topics today. Um, with that in mind, um, Frank, welcome to the our Digital Leadership Podcast, and uh, maybe as a start, tell me a little bit about your professional journey and how it has informed your views. Well, Ken, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate uh, being on. Um, so my background and journey, I think, uh, may, may be very similar to others in tech. I actually started off as an engineer um, when I graduated from uh, college at UC, uh, UC Davis here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, when I graduated, I, I actually worked for a company called AdaptTech uh, as a chip designer. Um, and that was a very short-lived uh, journey for me. I, I realized I prefer to be in front of customers and, and talking about problems and solutions. And so I went to a friend's company called Ignite Technologies and Ignite Technologies back then was focused on installing firewalls and getting customers up and running on Outlook or email, certainly Microsoft Exchange, setting up data centers um, for uh, small companies or dot coms. And that, that kind of got me into security and cybersecurity. And we were acquired uh, by SonicWall shortly within about two, three years of uh, me joining that company. And that, that really brought me into this world of cybersecurity, which I've spent about the last 20 years in. I took a break from cybersecurity to join a late stage startup called SilverSpring Networks, I think that you mentioned, and then took that company public. And once we went public, uh, step back into cybersecurity at uh, HP and in Palo Alto Networks. Um, but I uh, ultimately ended up at Helium, which uh, for me, I think is probably the best outcome out of that entire journey. Very good. I love it. Chip to cloud. Uh, it's a great experience. Yes. Have and not, not atypical for uh, Silicon Valley uh, uh, entrepreneurs such as yourself. <laughs> 
If you if you think about uh, the red thread of your own experience, um, you mentioned you know, chips, d data centers, cybersecurity networks, mm -hmm. uh, and ultimately all of that converging mm -hmm. into into helium. Um, what are some of the trends you've seen relative to each of those areas? Um, you know, leading us up to today. Yeah, I, I think it's very interesting that. I, I've kind of lived through, and this sort of probably tells folks how long I've been in the industry. I've lived through this centralization effect of computing and decentralization effect of computing from centralized uh, SharePoint exchange servers uh, where your applications on your PCs fully you know, centralized compute on AWS and Azure and, and GCP. Uh, and, and throughout the throughout the evolutions, uh, it feels like the edge, or maybe in a, in vernacular from a networking PC world, the compute side, uh, the device side, seems to get more and more powerful, and uh, and every turn, and every sort of uh, every phase or wave of, of the change, uh, which I find to be incredible. Um, it's it's very hard to believe that you know. Just 21 years ago, or 25 years ago, even we we really couldn't do a whole lot uh, at home on a on the desktop. And today we've got things like Android and iOS uh, that can that, that's that can power. I don't know can can, can do the work of I don't know what thousands of folks. Uh, the compute power is incredible on these uh, edge devices or end device in devices. So I, I think that. That macro evolution has been an incredible perspective for me, at least. Um, maybe for past generations, it's sort of like going from horses to cars or something. I don't know, but it's pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, we um, we have a specific piece as part of Momenta Ventures on on edge uh, computing, and it's really edge compute and edge communications, the two together, uh, two of the three, as they say, yeah. that of uh, you know fog computing. So um, you know. <laughs> the other part, of course, is storage at the edge. But um, tell me, how has that then converged to bring you to helium? And mm -hmm. and you know, really, maybe starting off with a, a description of what mm -hmm. helium does when we talk about the uh, the you know an internet of machines. Sure. I mean, two years ago, uh, over two years ago now, almost uh, two and a half years ago, when I when I decided that I wanted to do something different. Um, not necessarily change careers, but just I, I wanted to go try another startup um, before my before I hit the sort of end of my career. And I, I no one no sort of Gen Z or millennial wants to hire me. Um, I thought, hey, I should I should go give a, a startup a, a crack again. I started looking, and I probably looked at forty to fifty different startup companies. I was lucky enough to get connected with Vinod Kosla. Uh, where he introduced me to the entire portfolio. Um, Bruce Armstrong, one of his operating partners, handheld me through a ton of different companies that he was sitting on the board of. And Helium was one of them. And in fact, Helium was the first company I talked to. Um, and the interesting part about Helium was that it was at an in interesting phase. It, at the time, Helium was four years into its journey. And... Sean Fanning and Amir Halim, who started Helium, had this idea or desire to create 
a network or internet that connected IoT things or IoT devices very easily and very cheaply and over miles of range. And that was their dream. And that dream was born out of sort of their life and where they were in their life, where they, they got married, they were all starting to have kids. Uh, and so they're going from entrepreneur tech person to now father. And they thought, hey, why can I apply technology to help deal with this baby? This right? I want to know if the baby's hungry, the baby, you know, pooped its diaper, or the baby's unhappy for some reason. I like to know why. And so they went down this journey with a, a friend of theirs, Chris Bruce, started the company called Sproutling to figure out how to create a, a, like a baby monitor that is like a fit itself. As, as tech fathers knew what was wrong and how to solve the problem right away, instead of sort of like probably what you and I did, Ken, was we had to figure out why the baby was crying and an hour later we're about to kill ourselves and you know, wish to God the baby would stop crying and we didn't know why. We wanted to solve that problem and they couldn't do it. And so they started building hardware and software and firmware and they realized trying to build something on Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, cellular was actually very difficult. The, I think Wi-Fi and Bluetooth solved that problem. Cellular did not. Is Cellular is still very proprietary. There, there weren't very good toolkits. If there were, they're very expensive, certainly not for the hobbyists. Um, and so they thought, well, we, let's start a company. Let's create a business problem so that anyone, any other tech dad like us, can just easily build product and applications that just connect without all this headache and nightmares with royalty fees and proprietary code. So that's, that was sort of the genesis of Helium. I thought that was quite interesting. Now, when, when Amir and I first met about two and a half years ago, I, I after 20, 30 minutes talking to him, as cool as this was, is I told him I'm probably the wrong person. Now, I'm coming from a cybersecurity background. I did a stent at Silver Spring Networks. I kind of got a little bit of a road rash from Silver Spring. It wasn't bad, but it was just... The time I spent the three years there, you know, really selling to utilities and talking through with these big, slow moving giants, it was painful. And, you know, I, I don't like slow moving things. So I felt like that wasn't my kind of deal. And I thought maybe the whole world of IoT was like that. And so I told Amir, I'm, I'm the wrong guy. I, I brought no value to this situation that they're in. Um, but I gave him some recommendations about, you know, who he should talk to. So I think he went off and, and talked to a bunch of folks, but it turns out the folks he talked to told told Amir he's got to hire me. And so this went on for like three months. And finally, I, after talking to like 49 other companies, I uh, I caved because I, I didn't think anything else was that interesting. And this was very, very interesting. So I ended up at Helium. Um, and when I joined, I realized that they actually had a really interesting scheme on how to actually build a network. You know, I thought, oh, gosh, is this going to be another Sigfox thing? Is this going to be another things network, uh, like a telco model? It's just going to take forever to build something. Like a network isn't easy to build. You know, it costs billions of dollars. How do we do this? And so Amir and the, and the, and the development team really, you know, really got, I think, very smart about how to solve the problem uh, to the question, how do you build a network? 
without spending billions of dollars? How could we do that? And, and the answer to that question, after I think they brainstormed over a bottle of whiskey, um, it's Oban. Oban 14 was the exact year. Perfect. Oban, Oban 14 year. We actually have the bottle still with the serial number. It's empty now, but we kept it. That okay. bottle, believe it or not, inspired one of our engineers. Uh, his, uh, his code name is Bones. I don't want to give real names only because I don't want people recruiting our guys. Uh, I love him too much. Bones is his Slack name. Bones came up with a great idea of let's put Bitcoin in our gateways, in our long range, low power gateways. Let's put Bitcoin on there because if we could put Bitcoin on there, everyone would want to basically buy one of these and put it in their home and it would create a long range and lots of coverage. Now, the challenge with Bitcoin is everyone that's familiar with crypto and crypto mining knows is Bitcoin uses so much power that, you know, it could be as much as like a city in Nevada or something. It's just a lot of power. And, and so there's other challenges to that. So after looking at Bitcoin and looking at Ethereum and looking at Stellar, a bunch of other pro, we call protocol chains, um, the guys at Helium decided we're going to have to build our own blockchain. None of these work because the whole point of Helium building a network would be that a decentralized approach to building the network would require some kind of trust in some kind of way for the person that's providing the network coverage to prove that they are actually providing network coverage. And then you don't want that network coverage to disappear. So you want them to prove that they are where they claim to be. So we ultimately had to create a Helium blockchain with the premise that proof of coverage was our way of bringing together disparate individuals and disparate helium hotspots in this case uh, together into one global network so that they can prove to each other via the blockchain that one, they were providing coverage and two, that they were real and they were really located where they claimed to be. So you can think of that as network health, right? Network availability. And so that's what our blockchain is built on. Now that idea, I th it turns out was a great idea. What we've done since the birth of that idea is we created something called the Helium Hotspot. And that hotspot has two purposes. One, it provides lower WAN coverage, right? It's using a lower chip module inside, provides lower WAN coverage uh, for miles and miles, same spec as what lower WAN has. And that's one. On the other hand, before devices are actually out there, right? Because this is always the, the problem with building something is you don't have users, right? Before you've got consumption, you got to convince people to just build it and then they will come eventually, hopefully. The idea of the building and they will come in this case is powered by the incentive that the blockchain creates. And so that blockchain now mines proof of coverage, even if there's no consumption of the network. And so as a hotspot owner, when you buy a hotspot, you put it in your home, your hotspot immediately starts to prove itself to the network, thereby mining the cryptocurrency called Helium HNT. And for that, you're mining and you're, you're gaining tokens. Once devices are using the network and, and consuming the network coverage, you're also going to mine the cryptocurrency HNT for providing coverage for those devices. So we had to solve that cold start problem to convince early adopters to come in and build a network before there's consumption. Mm. So 
that's the idea, right? And, and that idea is now reality. So we're we launched October, you know, last year. Uh, we're now we've sold out as of January one, twenty twenty. Uh, so we sold out over four thousand or three three thousand eight hundred units, something like that, uh, in a matter of months. Uh, it's it, now the the coverage in seven hundred and forty five cities. Um, we're in all fifty states. We're also in Puerto Rico. We're expanding into Canada. Um, hopefully, we'll be expanding into Europe soon. But you know, we've got more hotspots coming in May. So that that's sort of you know. I think I answered more than just your question of why helium, but that's where we are um, today. And that's sort of the magic of helium. That's why that's why I'm with the company. Yeah, no, I can see that. It makes a lot of sense. Um, Sean Fanning, of course, of, of Napster fame. So <clears throat> you think about decentralized file sharing, uh, the you know the ability to be able to monetize or tokenize, if you will, at the at the edge, so you can incent people to set up these these gateways ultimately. Uh, and now I think you know the uh, we really to complete that out the uh, leveraging of a you know a, a standard, if you will, protocol out there in the form of LoRaWAN. It's just it's a winning yes. solution because you've effectively it's I. I know it's an overused analogy, but it's effectively the Uberization, if you will, of a of a, a city grid or network. Right? You you have people participating in it; they're getting rewarded for that, and uh, and of course, um, you know, they're 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 gaining status, if you will, in the network, depending on how well they're keeping up their their KPIs in that regard. So, makes a lot of sense, actually. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I have to tell you, I don't think I don't think this could have happened without all of the elements uh, that. We had, and you mentioned one of them, which is Sean Fanning's DNA um, from that peer-to-peer -peer history that he has, right, with Napster and music sharing. And Amir Haleem coming from the the game world, he can, he comes from Quake and a bunch of video games. Uh, that and when you think about video games, video games is all about incentive and, and engagement as well. So that that DNA is is injected into the company. And so when you think about, you got peer-to-peer -peer networking, you've got this gaming background with incentives and engagement. And we've got quite a bit of cybersecurity background as well now in the company. You, when you put the three together, the funny thing is you end up with helium. <laughs> I love it. So, you know, clearly there's there's a scale plan, as you mentioned, you know, geographically, right? Um, you, yeah. You're still con, con, con us, if you will, but you can certainly go out from there. Um, how I guess how deep of a stack do you also think that you may be able to scale in in this regard, right? Providing edge connectivity, but of course you mentioned security um, and maybe even touching on you know network-based applications. I could imagine could be a, an interesting space as well. I think I think Helium, you know, and this is this is probably good that Helium has taken six years of twists and turns uh, to get to this point. Because I think to answer your question directly, Helium is not going to build an end-to-end -end solution for IoT. That isn't the role Helium is going to play. I think after six years of trying to do that, trying to build protocols, trying all kinds of radios, right? We tried everything. We went from trying LoRa to trying TI to trying LoRaWAN to building our own protocol called LongFi to some other you know, random FIs and, you know, modulation schemes. We tried everything and we came back to lower and lower WAN ultimately. I think, I think the, the experience of trying everything tells us that what we're good at as a company ultimately is creating peer to peer and 
creating incentives to build networks. That's what we're good at. And that's what we're going to stick to. And so to do that, we understand as a company, we can't build end-to-end solutions. However, we should enable everyone else to do to do so. That's why Helium has open sourced everything. Like we've open sourced our hotspots, our firmware, our software, our blockchain, our provisioning tools called Helium Console. We have a visualization tool that we use uh, for mostly sales engagements called Helium Console. I'm sorry, Helium Cargo. And Cargo is now open source as well. We open source everything. Everything's available to anyone. It's all in our GitHub, right? GitHub.com slash Helium. And our goal, our goal as a company is to ensure that that code, that know-how gets into the hands of all developers around the world. We want everyone to use it and to build on it. Um, and I think that's important because that, that, that tells us as Helium where our fit is and what we can do to help the rest of the ecosystem within Lower WAN and beyond. And we, we don't, we don't want to be you know, uh, a, a network server. We don't want to be a join server. These are terminology from the Lower WAN world. You know, we have no interest in building uh, devices. Um, ultimately, the, we're just not, we're not as good as the others that are doing it. We think there are people out there and companies out there that do a great job. And that's not us. What we are really good at, based on the results, I think, uh, that speak for itself, is we're really good at building networks incredibly fast at, at large scale. And so, and that's, that's all based on the premise of the incentive, uh, the blockchain that we've created. So let's go back to the DNA of the company, baby monitoring. So let's yeah. say, you know, now now we're 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 present day. I, I have the same scenario I want to go through now. How easy yeah. is it now using what you guys have provided? I think it's incredibly easy. Uh I I I actually look, there's there's a couple of vendors out there that are creating this sort of baby wristband or baby ankle bracelet that gives you all kinds of telemetry, temperature, heartbeat, uh, movement, um, you know, sort of as sophisticated as, as an Apple watch, probably what, what they need, right. What they're building the, this tech on Laura and Laura Wan, but in most cases, at least in the United States, this, this is true. There has not been a unifying network in the United States to connect that Laura Wan device. That's always been a challenge. But today, at least in 745 cities with helium hotspots out there, that challenge has been solved. Not everywhere, but in 700, certainly in 745 cities, it's been solved. So that that companies or the company that's building these devices, they don't they don't actually need to worry about selling a gateway or figuring out the coverage problem. The network coverage that's listening for that device is there. They just need to build it now. They just need to connect, that's all. And the connection process is nearly plug and play. It's super easy. So, you know, I, I mean, at some point we should, sh I should show you and walk you through a, a whole demo. I'm not even the, the technical guy here and I can connect, a, <laughs> you, I can connect a lower right device the evangelist, in my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, I, I was, yeah. I was fascinated by your early work with Silver Spring Networks. We knew them yeah. well, you know, machine to machine yeah. networks for smart metering. And so far what we've yeah. talked about relative to Helium is B2C or business to consumer cases. That's right. Um, um, do you foresee a business to business play, one that maybe might even you know play in the smart metering space in the future for helium yeah you know absolutely and and that's you know i think the best way for your audience to think about it is what helium wants to do is 
take the lower WAN idea, plug a blockchain in there, and make that as big as Linux, right? Just max it. We want it to be open source, like how Linux is open sourced. And Helium is essentially going to be Red Hat to Linux, but we'll be Red Hat. We'll be hit the, the Helium to lower WAN plus Helium blockchain. That, that's what we want to do. And so in that, if you think about that, that means ultimately Helium's value is helping enterprises stand up their capability, leveraging lower WAN, leveraging the blockchain, leveraging the network, the public network that's available to them and build all kinds of applications and devices. We're, we're not going to build those devices or applications. However, Helium can provide the professional services. We can provide the engineering work needed to customize certain parts so that an enterprise can consume it easier, right? Easily. And that, that's our that's our goal. Our goal is ultimately to be a company that uh, can provide value on top of this platform that's now open source. And we and by the way, we're we're happy to have plenty of players um, offer that same value. We don't care. We don't see any of this as competitive. We we believe that the more players there are, the better the chance of some some project that's open source becomes very pervasive. The goal here is to become absolutely viral, I guess is the best word for it. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, and Laura lends itself, Laura Wan lends itself really well to that because obviously we, we think Absolutely. of it as an operator optional standard, right? You could, yes, you could deploy yes. it as an operator, you can deploy it in a city, you can deploy it in a private or hybrid format, and it's just, it gives you an immense amount of flexibility. So as, yes. as you think about some of the license spectrum standards, we hear a lot about 5G, and of course, mm -hmm. along with that comes uh, NBIOT, LTEM, that the TOCOs have been kind of pushing as will be the direction and ultimately where they hope you know most of the the world of low power wide area will go what's your perspective on that um, you know one do you foresee it as coming as fast as they do and two is it is it a complementary play to what you guys are doing well i mean my my so my opinion isn't fully formed because i haven't read everything out there that i can but the things i've read about 5g indicate to me that it's servicing a different purpose. I, 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 and I could be wrong on this, but I believe the way the 5G spec has been created to date is that it's primarily meant to replace high-speed internet that today is serviced mostly with cable and fiber optics. And I think 5G is meant to replace that, which means you and I, instead of um, having a cable guy come over and, you know, we have a modem in our house that's connected via a wire, a copper wire or fiber optics. Instead of having that, we would have uh, essentially a 5G gateway in our home that connects the entire house to the internet using 5G technology. That That's kind of my perception of it. And I could be wrong about this. Um, and to me, that doesn't add value to the IoT problem. Because I when I think of IoT, I think the challenges are range and battery life, right? We want, we're not, we're not a, we're not dealing with iPhones or iPads or smart TVs where there's limitless battery, limitless power. We're dealing with little sensors, whether it be a temperature sensor, accelerometer, air quality sensor, right? Window sensor, you know, those sensors run typically on batteries. And you want, when something runs on a battery and it's providing some value that's very specific, you want those batteries to last forever. Because the last thing you want to do is go change a battery. Is One, you forget. That's the biggest problem. And two, you don't know how to do it because there's been so many 
so many years. And so you want to solve that. And I don't think 5G or cellular in general can solve that because of the logic and way they, they connect. They, they require persistent connection, which drains batteries. That's why our, like your, your smartphone, my smartphone, we got to charge that thing every day because it's maintaining a persistent connection that draws a lot of power, right? And so we think that LoRaWAN, LoRa, and other you know um, long-range, low-power spectrums and protocols are built to solve that problem of battery life and range. So uh, you know, and five G, by the way, doesn't have miles of range. I think it's like within your block or something, right? It's pretty short range. So I, I don't, I, I don't actually see it as competitive to IoT, and certainly not competitive to LoRa, LoRa WAN, only because of my, my my perception of five G is sort of. And that's for a different purpose. Yeah, and I think we generally agree. We see them as complementary. 5G being primarily low latency, high bandwidth, um, and uh, and certainly that's um, you know good fit for a lot of use cases, especially in the industrial areas that we work at. But the other side of it is something we call smart spaces. It's one of our investment thesis and focus areas, which looks at smart buildings, smart cities, smart farms, and there the the pattern of deployment looks more like what you know MIT's call smart dust, right? You want to literally throw these sensors pretty much everywhere, have them self-provision right. and act in unison to provide back yes. uh, a view of, a, of an environment, if you will, right? Yes. And that's mm-hmm. what, you know, Laura and Laura Wan particularly works well with. And your guys' deployment model is just brilliant in terms of how to get those networks deployed. Let, let me ask, we've got several companies we've invested in. I like NanoThings is a good example of in New York. They do a, a, a disposable one-way tag ultimately that measures location and then uh, um, senses for uh, uh, condition, uh, if you will, like temperature and shock. But they they na- they naturally would work within, uh, let's say, distribution centers, retail stores as cold chain. Uh, tracking does would helium be applicable in a private networking or corporate networking style situation like that i think helium is really applicable to any anyone whether it's uh, a large corporation or or you know a public network i think the the this this is probably a new idea to most enterprises and that's why we've adjusted some of our uh our models to accommodate but the idea that as a as a large enterprise, I'll give you an example like a Nestle um, Ready Fresh is it's the water division that Nestle, they 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 would not need to build a network in order to ship smart um, water delivery systems. So everyone's uh, most many companies and homes actually in the United States have um, water dispensers and they have you know five ten gallon water jugs delivered by Nestle. Um, when they're out of water and the way that's done today is uh you 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 place a call or there's a scheduled delivery time and the truck just shows up and and many times what happens is the the person that scheduled that uh water delivery on a regular basis doesn't need the water and they actually reject it they tell nestle to take it back so it's highly inefficient what we're able to do to support nestle is hey now now there's a healing network in many of these cities You, you don't need to you know, rely on a scheduled system and, and be inefficient, you could do just in time. There are sensors in the water dispenser that know when the water is low. They understand the, the consumption of water for that that building or that, that household. And and Nestle can can now provide water in a much more efficient way down the entire supply chain. That that value was was not able to be presented before because Nestle would have to build a network or Nestle would have to pay 
cellular companies to get that data. And that was, that cost outweighed the need, right? Um, outweighed the problem. But because helium and lower WAN is so low cost, meaning, by the way, one sensor that's sending data every five minutes on our helium network for the, for the year costs about a dollar and four cents on the helium network a year, a dollar and four cents. That's sending data every five minutes. That's nuts. That's unheard of. And when we when we talk to enterprises about that, it's completely game changing. In that, in their mind, a dollar and four cents per device per year is a no-brainer. <laughs> it is no reason why they should not use LoRaWAN at that point. And so that's I think that value prop whether it be for nano things or for cold chain or for guys like Nestle is amazing. It's like that, that's the network they've been waiting for. Mm. Yeah. Fully, fully agreed. So pulling out your crystal ball, what, what do you think the next decade looks like for machine communications? You, you know, I, it's, we had this conversation a month ago or two months ago before, before COVID-19, I, I would have said, you know, it's going to be, tough because I think I think helium and LoRaWAN and the entire IoT industry is fighting human behavior, right? I think human behavior dictates a lot of what happens in trends. But unfortunately, you know, for the world that this event had to happen with with this pandemic, it it's doing something, it's forcing change of human behavior. And I think as a result of that, the importance of IoT, LoRaWAN, certainly low power wide area networks will be much more important than ever before. I, I think, I think this could be, you know, this could be the reason why much more investments going to happen in IOT, because I think the need for humans to go somewhere to go check on something ha has to end. It's going, it's going to end right now because we, in the short term, we can't go outside and you, you know, you and I going to the grocery store, we're taking a great risk on our health or, or at least, you know, the health of our families. Um, if there was another way, what if there was another way? <laughs> what if there was an automated way where a sensor could tell you there's, there's toilet paper <laughs> at the grocery <laughs> store down the street. So you didn't have to risk your life to go realize there's toilet paper, right? Uh, of all things. But if there was a way where that was automated, and you just knew, like something told you, oh, you're looking, you know, you're trying to buy a piece of steak or uh, maybe some salmon, wild-caught salmon from the North Atlantic. Guess what? It's available today or it's available in the next eight hours. And then you plan your day and you go get your salmon. Like, I, I feel like that that's the kind of world we should be at today. But because there was no need to force that to happen, it hasn't happened. And fortunately and unfortunately, given the circumstances, I, I do think that in the next 10 years, that will happen. I think at least in Silicon Valley here in, in the San Francisco Bay Area, robotics, uh, autonomous vehicles, all of that's been worked on for the last 10 years. It's been going. And now I see that kind of work accelerating. And when you have more and more of those types of devices out there that need to be autonomous, that are single purpose, a lower WAN network is probably the best network for that. 
Yeah, we fully agree about um, uh, social changes actually driving rapid technology adoption, even in budgeting cycles. As we're recording yeah. this in the middle of uh, the COVID-19 uh, challenges, yeah. there is a meme floating around the internet now that has a little checkbox that says, who's leading digital transformation? Your company, A would be the CEO, yeah. B would be the chief digital officer, and C is COVID-19. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. of course, it's, it's the answer is C. So you mentioned startups and, you know, in, in closing, we like to ask really two key questions. And one, you know, um, is really what interesting startups are you seeing out there that you may have, a, have an interest in? And then second, of course, you know, recommendations or books or resources you'd like to share with our listening audience. Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's tough. I think being in a startup where, Every day of our startup life is crucial. It's difficult for for us to look outside sometimes, you know, to, to sort of look at the world and and judge and judge others because we're so we're so engulfed with what we're doing. We're so maniacally focused on our mission. Um, but I will say that you know the things that I think are super interesting aren't necessarily technological. Um, in nature, I actually find economic cleverness to be very interesting. And I, you know, when I first, this is, goes back now 10 years, maybe, maybe longer. When Uber first came out, I thought that was the best idea ever. It was an economic model that could only happen because smartphones were available now. Um, and you can, you can hail a car or hail a ride and not not have to deal with the taxi services, which are in, in, in the United States horrible. I think in Europe, they're much better. Uh, um, but, you know, that aside, I, I do think that two sided marketplaces are incredibly interesting. And whether it be at, you know, Airbnb uh, and then, you know, at least in San Francisco Bay Area, companies like Instacart and DoorDash, where, where you have gig economy workers um, providing services that are localized, I, I find that to be incredible. Um, incredible changes in economics and sort of flipping economic models on its head. I, I really like companies that do that in general. And then, in, in, as I mentioned earlier, in Silicon Valley and in, in San Francisco, I've seen a lot of robotics and autonomous, you know, uh, development around autonomous robotics or sensors. Th those are, I think, very important. Uh, overall. And I think ultimately the startups that I think win at the end of the day are, are going to be the startups that have the best user experience. I, I just, the, the more that I've now been in, you know, business to consumer B2C or direct to consumer with Helium, the more I, I understand that ease of use, ease of user experience, building things where, you know, our parents or our relatives aunt and uncles are able to use is crucial for mass adoption. Like you have to. It doesn't matter if your early adopters are technical or not, but if you can make things that just are easier, simpler, they look beautiful, um, that's going to win. Absolutely. Yeah. So, any uh, recommendations on books? Um, think what inspires you? Um, Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. I hate reading. I hate reading business books. It's the most boring things. Um, so I'm, I'm not that kind of guy. Uh, but the things that I do enjoy reading are um, 
much much more insightful, I think, to how history and humans have developed over time. I can't think of a book right now, but it's usually autobiographic in nature, and I really enjoy, you know, uh, reading about different leaders and understanding their decision making during certain times. Those are kind of the stories I, I enjoy reading for pleasure, more so than you know, uh, another another crossing the chasm or something. Mm-hmm. Now makes a lot of sense. And uh, so, Frank, it has been a real pleasure learning about you, your your own digital journey, uh, helium, and really getting a broader perspective on what the future of you know machine communications uh, you know can really look like in the future. And I agree with you. The uh, the current challenges are only going to accelerate the use cases. So, it has been uh, a great pleasure. And uh, we will be uh, um, of course listing any resources that were named on the uh, on the um, uh, podcast on our website as well once we publish this and we'll look forward to continuing the conversation with uh, with you and with all of our listeners uh, in the future so thank you very much frank thank you ken i really appreciate it all right take care and thank you You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Leadership Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the discussions. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of prior podcasts, webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.